secret place, set our hearts on fire. Flow, river, flow, flood the nations with grace and mercy. Send forth your word, Lord, and let there be light. Lord, I come to your awesome presence from the shadows into your radiance. By the blood I may enter your brightness. Search me, try me, consume all my darkness. Shine on me. Shine on me. Shine, Jesus, shine. Fill this land with the Father's glory place, Spirit, our hearts on fire. Flow, river, flow, flood the nations with grace and mercy. Send forth your word, Lord, and let there be life. <clears throat> the world likes to talk about love, don't they? Uh, you see it in movies, you hear it in songs. Uh, the world has a, a conception of what love is. And that's not necessarily a biblical view of what love is. Uh, love is something that you feel. And, and it's something that as long as it feels good and it feels right, boy, then everything's okay and, and life is good. But if that love starts to fade, maybe it doesn't feel like it used to feel, then you just move on down the road and, and that's okay too. And that's what the world believes is love. It's that warm, gooey feeling that you feel. You know, when you first meet... Mr. Wonderful or, or Ms. Perfect, uh, but that's not the biblical view of love. It's important as we think about the growth of this church, as we think about being a, a, a fairly new church plant, and we look towards the future, what is the biblical view of love and what role does that play in the growth of this church? When Paul writes to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he talks about love and the importance of love in that church. And he's writing to a church that's in turmoil because of all the conflict within it. We don't have that same situation here. But we can still learn from Paul's words about love. Many people will turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and they will look at what Paul says about love. And oftentimes you see it in weddings and it's read in weddings. But really Paul's talking about the church. How the church gets along with love. And so what we want to do this morning is we want to look briefly at the circumstances that Paul's writing to or writing in uh, as he writes to the church of Corinth. We want to talk about uh, what is love as Paul defines it here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 
And then we want to ask the question, how can we be more loving as Christians today? So if you have your Bibles, please be turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, and as you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I, I do want you to recall some of the circumstances that are occurring there at the church of Corinth. This happens to be what we're studying in our adult class is the first letter that Paul writes to Corinth. Some of these things we've already talked about in class. Uh, but the first few chapters, uh, chapters 1 through 4, 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about the divisions that exist in the church. They were so tied up in, in who brought to, to Christ and, 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 and who's your favorite preacher, really, is really what it boils down to. And there is causing a lot of conflict in the church at Corinth. And then he gets to chapter 5, and he starts talking about a man uh, who's acting immorally with his stepmother. And then he's going to go on and he's going to talk about uh, brethren that were suing each other, taking one another to court. Uh, he's going to talk about uh, different problems uh, in the church in chapter 7. And so you have all these problems going on. And then when you get to chapter 12, Paul says, now let me talk to you about spiritual gifts. Because there are people there in the first century that had miraculous gifts that we don't have today. Uh, but they had these miraculous gifts, and some of them had different types of gifts. And they were judging each other, mistreating each other based on who had what gifts. And so there was all this conflict going on. And Paul says, that's not how the church ought to be. The church should not be just a, a rolling ball of conflict. And so he comes to chapter 13 and he says, let me tell you a better way. Think about what Paul says here. We're going to read it, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about some views of, the, of what Paul has in mind here. But notice what Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. He says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor, excuse me, uh, verse 4, and he goes on then to say what love is. He says, love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, endures all things. Paul says this is what love is. As we look at this section, there are a number of views that people have of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. There are some skeptical scholars of the New Testament who say, well, Paul's just plugging in a, a hymn. Uh, in this section. This is just a hymn. It always makes me interested when I read scholarly discussions of texts of Scripture and they say, well, that was just a hymn that somebody put in. I, I wonder, was there a first century hymn book going around somewhere and, and, and people would just take hymns and plug them into Scripture? But there are some people who think, well, Paul's just plugging in a hymn here. Uh, there are other people, uh, other scholars that suggest uh, that uh, this section isn't really connected with what Paul's been talking about with conflict in the church. But I think that's a wrong view. Paul's saying here is the solution to the conflict at the church of Corinth. In fact, uh, Brother Holiday in his uh, commentary argues that Paul is really talking about 
uh, from personal experience here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, and you look at some of these things that he mentions. Look, if I, if I speak with the tongues of men, and Paul was one of those men that was multilingual, uh, and he says, if I can do that, but I don't do it with love, it doesn't accomplish me anything. If I, if I have the gift of prophecy, and certainly Paul had the gift of prophecy, he's an inspired apostle of God. He says, but if I have that and I exercise it, don't do it out of love, it profits me nothing. Now remember the conflict he's been talking about in chapter 12, and he's going to continue to talk about in chapter 14, is conflict about uh, people evidently that had the ability to speak in tongues, and some people had it in, in Corinth and some people didn't. Some people in Corinth evidently had the gift of prophecy, because he's going to later on talk about prophesying it one at a time in the church setting, in the worship assembly setting. And so we know they had, some of those folks had those gifts, and Paul's really beating it down here and saying, look, you can have these great gifts, and they're great gifts to have, they can do a lot of good, but if you exercise them and you don't have love, you're just making noise. You're just making noise. Do you like the imagery of a clanging cymbal? Has a loved one in your extended family ever given one of your small children a drum set for Christmas? Or a Christmas part or a birthday gift? Or a musical instrument? Here, let me give you a flute. Why did you do that? Why did you give my child a flute? Right? Those things are just clanging sounds, noisy sounds that are disruptive. And Paul says that's what your, your actions are if they're not coming from love. And, and so I'm with Holiday. He says, no, Paul is, is making this real, and he's really speaking as one who has some of these gifts. And he says, I have to do these things from love. And so he addresses with authority those in that congregation there at Corinth who had these gifts and really making it personal by saying, if you're doing these things and you don't have love, you're creating more conflict, more noise, more disturbances in the church there at Corinth than if you didn't have the gifts at all. And he's going to spend three chapters talking about this. So we know it was a big problem in the church. And, and obviously, even today, we can see that, right? Uh, we've all been parts of congregations where you've had people that just had some dynamic abilities and talents. And, and it's so easy for some in the church to say, man, that person's a great person. Look at what they're able to accomplish. And then, then there are others sometimes in a congregational setting that will look at persons like that and, and they'll, they'll think, well, that person just thinks they're all that. And so you can have jealousy. And sometimes you can have boasting. And Paul's going to talk about both of those in this section. And so he's, he's somewhat autobiographical here. And he says, I'm going to show you a more excellent way. More excellent than just using your gifts. More excellent than boasting about the gifts that you have or that somebody else has or being jealous over the gifts that somebody has. He says it's not beneficial at all if you do these things and you don't do it with the practice of love. There are some who say that Paul could be uh, calling to attention to love uh, through hypothetical uh, circumstances, but truly he had these gifts. And he's speaking about himself in exercising some of these gifts and, and making it personal. You have to do it with love. In the end, Paul is expressing the importance of love for congregational harmony. Folks, you have to have love for one another. 
You have to have love for the church if the church is going to have harmony and growth. And as we think about the church here at Benbrook, we're just a small infant church. And we want to grow. And we want to be outside this place. And we want to be bigger in terms of the number of folks that are part of our church. And we want to grow and we, numerically. We want to grow spiritually. And we want to grow in maturity. And if all of those things are going to come to pass, we have to have love. Another false view that people have of love in the world is that there's never conflict. Right? If we, we just love each other, that's all you have to have, and we'll just get along. Guys, forget that. Sometimes you can't even figure out which restaurant you're going to go to. Right? You can't even figure out uh, you know, what color of the new chair uh, that you're going to have is going to be. Right? As long as you have two opinions, sometimes there's going to be conflict. And so love is how you get past that conflict or how you resolve that conflict. Conflict's not necessarily a bad thing, but love is how you get through those things. And so Paul says, let me show you a more excellent way. So what is love? As we come back and we begin <clears throat> excuse me, to look at the text <clears throat> of what Paul is saying here, first of all, he talks, he's going to go, Positive, negative, positive in his definition of what love is. Notice what he says. He says, first of all, love is patient. Now, we think we understand what patience means. Uh, Thayer defines patient as bearing the offenses and injuries of others, to be mild and slow in avenging, to be long-suffering, uh, slow to anger, slow to punish. You know, sometimes we think about patience as... Uh, you know, i got to wait for the microwave to finish cooking in the two minutes or 30 seconds that it's got to cook, right? Um, this past week, I was reading in Genesis when uh, uh, the Lord and, and probably two angels came with the Lord, came to meet Abraham, uh, and Abraham goes and tells Sarah, you know, prepare some cakes, and then it says Abraham went to go and, and to prepare uh, a calf, uh, for them to eat, you know, that's, those aren't quick things. Have you ever thought about that? You know, we, we want things on microwave time. But, but some of these patriarchs, I mean, going and telling someone, oh, let me go prepare a kid for you, you know, a small goat. That took a lot of time. To me, that's patience, waiting for that to happen, right? But Thayer says the word for patience being used here is that idea of being slow to anger, being slow to anger. Bearing the offenses of others. Can you see why in a, in a context in which, there, in which there is church conflict, it is important to be slow to anger and to bear with the offenses of others? You know, sometimes you might offend somebody and you don't even know it. You know, you say something one way and, and to you there is nothing to it, but the other person says, why did, why did that person say that that way? You know? Um, <clears throat> I, I said hi to, to, to Devon and she didn't, even look, she didn't respond to me. She must be really angry at me. You know, you know, she might be thinking about something else. She may, you know, whatever. You know, but we can, we can think, oh, that person over there is so, they're just out to get me. You know, and we make these things up in our minds. <clears throat> I think I've, I, I've told you the story before of a friend of mine that, that uh, preached in a congregation here in, in uh, the Metroplex. And he, spoke, he, he preached at a, at a large congregation of several hundred members. Uh, and they had a horseshoe-shaped uh, auditorium. 
And uh, a lady, a member of the church, came up to him, and she was very upset. She goes, yeah, you know, I've been watching you, and I've counted the number of times that you look to the people on the right side of the congregation versus the amount of times that you look at the people on the left side of the congregation, and you look on this side about ten times more each sermon than you look on this side. Now, can you imagine that? She took that as a slight. It just happens to be that naturally most of us are right-handed. We tend to look to the right more than we turn to look to the left. But can you imagine the sister had been had it in her mind that this brother had it out for her and everyone else that sat on the left side of the congregation evidently because he didn't look at their side as often as he looks at the folks on the right side. Now what do you do with that? Well, that's love. Love is for that preacher to say, okay, uh, this woman is angry. Uh, and she's angry over some really silly, goofy things. Now, you're not going to tell that sister that's a silly, goofy thing. You're just going to let that roll off your back. And, and you see that that sister probably should have practiced a little bit of love here, a little bit of patience. Is he really trying to offend me by not looking at my side of the congregation as often? Sometimes we just need to let little offenses go by and be patient. Next, uh, Paul says, uh, love is kind. Uh, and, and so this idea of kindness, again, uh, Bauer says in his lexicon, it's an idea of mercifulness. Again, Thayer says to show one's self to be mild, to be kind. Okay, And so we have the idea here uh, that love is something that you do. You notice in both of these, neither one of these things are necessarily emotion. Neither one of those are emotions. Both of those are chosen actions, choosing to be kind. What's tough is being choosing to be kind to someone that's not necessarily someone that you would be good buddies with, right? Uh, you know, we know in this congregation, if you like sports, there are some folks that you can hang out with to watch sports, right? Uh, we know uh, we have some blue-collar folks in the room. And so if you like to talk about uh, blue-collar types of things, uh, industry types of things, mechanical types of things, there are folks that you can do that with. We have other folks that, that work in other fields, right? And, and we tend to gravitate towards people that we share common interests with. And so it's easy to be kind to those folks. But are you kind to folks that, frankly, otherwise you might not necessarily get to know? In a large congregation, you have to be purposeful in doing that. <clears throat> Congregation our size, it, it doesn't take much purpose in, in, in doing that uh, because we're so small that we all know each other, we all love each other. But as we could grow as a congregation, it's important for us to be purposeful in being kind. The impact of these positive statements is how do we respond to injuries done to us? When we perceive that somebody has injured us, we're going to be patient, we're going to be kind towards that individual. And Paul says, that's love. Now notice he goes on to say it's not jealous, does not brag. And so now Paul uh, begins to move into some negative statements okay, of what love does not do. Uh, love, first of all, does not brag. Uh, Lau and Anita identify this as praising oneself excessively. You ever known anyone that does that? Praise themselves excessively? Think about what that means, to praise oneself excessively. That means you're always talking about yourself, how great you are. You know, I'm the greatest X, Y, or Z, you know. Uh, no one else can figure this out as quickly as I can. You know people like that, and they make you sick, don't they? 
But that's different from having self-confidence. Do you like some of these commercials? I can't even remember what company is using this advertisement. But do you like some of these commercials, uh, like the one of the surgeon who comes in and says, uh, oh, yeah, I'm going to get my uh, license back today. Uh, you know, the patient's sitting right there. And uh, the patient says, is this going to go okay? Yeah, I'm sure it's going to be okay. You know, and what's the purpose of that commercial to say, you know, you want somebody that's really confident in what they're doing, right? Uh, it, there's nothing wrong with having self-confidence. The idea of bragging here is not the idea that, that you can't be confident in what you're doing. You need to be confident in what you're doing. But there are those folks that they just brag and boast. Now, again, think about the context of what Paul's talking about. Here's a church in turmoil because of people having different gifts. And if you have somebody that has a gift in speaking in tongues or prophesying, uh, and, and those are kind of gifts that are going to get a lot of attention anyway, uh, if you have somebody that says, oh, yes, I have the gift of speaking in tongues. I bet you wish you had the gift of speaking in tongues too. You know, it's going to get under people's skin. You know, you're going to be the type of person that no one's going to want to be around you. And Paul says, that's not what love is. Love doesn't brag. You know, you look at some of the lists of spiritual gifts uh, that you see here in 1 Corinthians 12 and, and also chapter 14. You go over to Romans and see what Paul says about uh, gifts there in Romans chapter 14. And some of you have heard me talk about gifts before. And one of those gifts is the gift of administration, which to me means paper, sh paper shuffling, right? Who wants that? Oh, yes, I'm, I'm really good at shuffling papers, you know, the gift of administration. You know, you have the gift of administration, yet here's somebody over here that can heal somebody. I mean, you can see how that would cause fr a friction in the church. And Paul says that's not the way it ought to be. Don't brag about that. He says love isn't arrogant, doesn't puff up, or, or that idea of being puffed up or, or thinking that you are so important. And we get that way, especially in some of our roles. Preachers are probably at that, right? Look how important I am. I get to stand in front of you every day. Uh, you know, there are others uh, that it's easy to think that you are so important. Uh, I was in a congregation once where there was a man who his family owned uh, a construction business uh, uh, that was very successful. Uh, and he made the comment in, 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 in a meeting setting once, as much money as my family contributes to this church, I think we ought to do this this way. And I was a little taken back by that. You know, but that's that idea of self-importance. Look how much we contribute. Uh, look how big our family is in this church. You know, my grandmother went here. My great-grandmother went here. My daddy went here. You know, we, I have five generations in this church. We need to do it this way. Folks, that causes conflict in the church. Paul says, that's not love. That's being puffed up. That's being uh, thinking that you have more importance than you do. And then he says, do not act unbecomingly. That means to act in defiance of social and moral standards with resulting disgrace, embarrassment, or shame, uh, indecent behavior, sh shameful deeds, according to Lao and Nita in their lexicon. And then he says, love does not seek its own. And folks, this has got to be one of the toughest statements because we're not trained this way as American citizens to seek our own. We're, we're all about seeking our own, right? We're all about having things done the way we want them to be done. And the idea of love does not seek its own means that love does not go about just 
it has to be my way or the highway. And we know people like that, don't we? That everything has to be done their way. And Paul says that's not love. That's not what love is. If you are truly operating from an attitude of love, you're not going to do things your way. Now, for a second. That's true in the church setting. Is that not also true in your family? Is that not true in your extended family? That if you just always have to do things your way, isn't that going to cause conflict in your family? Is that going to cause conflict in your marriage? It always has to be done your way. And Paul says that's not what love is. Love does not act that way. So he's done positive. He's done negative. There's one more here also on the idea of negative, and that is he just says do not take into account a wrong suffered. And that means to not keep a mental record for the events of future events, right? Calculating the evil. Because sometimes we like to do that. Boy, you know, back in 62, this guy did this thing over here to me, and I'm just going to hold on to that for the rest of my life. I had a couple ants that way. We didn't talk to each other for years and years and years because they did some, because I had some conflict some point in the past. I asked my grandmother one time, what is it that these two ants can't get along? She said, they can't remember, and I don't remember either. They've just been mad at each other for 30 years. Isn't that sad? They're all three dead now. Isn't it sad to lose your family member and you've been so mad at them for 30 years, 40 years, and you can't even remember what it was that you were mad about. You just were always mad. You don't calculate evil. You don't hold on to those things. That's not what love is. More than one scholar points to... <coughs> Zechariah chapter 8, verse 17, where the Lord says, Also let none of you devise evil in your heart against one another, and, add, and do not love perjury, for all these are what I hate, declares the Lord. Anytime the Lord says, this is something I hate, that ought to get your attention. When we calculate things in our mind, uh, and we calculate those things, and we hold them in our hearts, and we tell ourselves, I'm going to get that person back, God says, I'm not pleased with that. Consider Leviticus chapter 19, verses 16 through 18 in the English Standard Version. Uh, notice what uh, the Lord says there, Leviticus chapter 19, verses 16 through 18. You shall not go about as a slanderer among your people. You are not to act against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord your God. You can't continue to hold things against people and to slander people. You've got to let those things go. And so finally, Paul says, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but in the truth. Feel joy with or be happy with the injustice that you see in somebody else. This is when we use the phrase, you know what? That couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. Sometimes we act that way. Sometimes we say that phrase, that couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. What do we mean by that? That guy had it coming, right? We're holding on to something, and we're so happy when something bad happens to that, to that other person. What do all these have in common? They are all centered on self, praising self excessively, puffed up self-image, seeking your own interest, roused to anger, or acting in an embarrassing manner, calculating how to get somebody back, feeling joy when injustice happens to somebody else. And then we have the second statement of positive. Love bears all things, meaning it passes over all things, hopes all things, believes all things, endures all things. In other words, do you look out for the good in others? 
That's what love does. Love looks out for the good in others and wants to help people grow. From the picture of love we see here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's more than just an emotion. It is an attitude and chosen behaviors of setting others first. Love looks for and cultivates the best in others. It's not quick to tear down. Instead, love realizes that the church grows. As the church grows, there will be times when, when we will endure difficult times. But in enduring, we'll help others grow. Paul is talking about the conflict among the church at Corinth due to differences in gifts and perhaps the self-importance that some felt because of those gifts that they had. And Paul is saying that both those with the gifts and those who didn't have the gifts should not think too highly of themselves, but they need to use those gifts motivated by love, looking out for each other, not putting yourself first, but putting others first. So let's think about this. How can we be more loving? First of all, we need to realize that love is not always easy. Sometimes it takes making a choice to let some things go and not holding ourselves higher or better than somebody else. How do we respond when somebody hurts us in some way? Do we immediately blow up? Do we act in an embarrassing way? Do we keep them in a list and decide the best way to get back to the person? Paul says what we ought to do is be slow to anger and mild in our response. If we feel injured in some way, we need to either let the person know why we feel that way and how we feel, but in a kind manner, or we just need to let it go. If, if someone comes to us and we need to not be puffed up in our, in our self-image and be willing to consider why or how we might correct the problem. Secondly, we need to think about others ahead of ourselves. And this is difficult because we live in an individualistic culture that's all about me. And it's hard for us to say, you know what, I'm going to put somebody else first. I'm going to let somebody else have their way instead of my way. So regardless of our role, we need to consider how to help others grow spiritually. And sometimes others may seek to help us grow spiritually, but we have too much pride to listen. Love says, I'm going to sit back and listen and take it in. Holding on a time when we have been hurt can wreak havoc in the atmosphere of the congregation. We need to let those things go. Finally, we can always strive to be more loving. Asking the question, what is my motivation for serving? Is it only for personal gain? Or is it something I'm doing because of my love for God? Is it something I'm doing because of my love for others? When I'm approached with a new idea or a new method or a fellow worker, how do I respond? Am I open to considering others and considering their ideas? Am I truly seeking what is right and what is best? Or am I merely seeking my own desires? How much of what I do is out of a concern for helping others grow? Is it what I'm doing causing someone harm or injury? And if that's the case, I need to stop doing it. And when a conflict arises, am I open to finding a kind solution that is best, even if it's not a self-serving solution? We need to watch Christians grow. We need to let each other grow. And sometimes that means doing that with love, letting things roll off the tongue, not being immediate, you know, ready to jump up and fight if somebody says one little thing that gets under my skin or doing something that I would do differently, but just being understanding with each other, being kind with each other. Sometimes you do need to have conversations, but you need to have those conversations in the spirit of love. 
Folks, the church at Corinth was in so much turmoil and conflict for a number of different reasons. Paul says, we need to practice love. We need to practice love. As we grow, there are going to be times when it's important that we are purposeful in practicing love. If you're here this morning and you need to accept the love of Christ in your life by being united with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism, repenting of sin in your life, and choosing to follow God, if that's what you need to do, or if you have other needs that you want the church to be aware of, whatever your need, won't you come? Because together we stand and sing.